Good morning, church family. I greet you all in the wonderful name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. We thank God for bringing us together this morning to um, worship Him and to hear from Him as He speaks to us through His Word. We are in Mark chapter 10, verse 17. We will look up until verses uh, 22, Mark chapter 10, verse 17, and we will uh, stop in verse 22. The title of this morning's sermon is The Poor Young Man, The Poor Young Ruler, not young man, The Poor Young Ruler. You'll notice that um, in your ESV, if you are reading from the ESV, the heading there says the rich young man, right? Um, and as we read the story, um, from an earthly perspective, when you look at uh, the young man, he indeed was rich. He had many possessions. But as I look at the text, as we look at the text, we will discover that he actually was a poor young man. Let us read God's word and um, hear what God has to say to us this morning. Mark chapter 10, I read from the ESV, verse 17 up until verse 22. Let us hear what God has to say to us this morning. And as he was setting out on his journey, a young man, a man ran up and knelt before him and asked him, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good except for God alone. You know the commandments. Do not murder. Do not commit adultery. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Do not defraud. Honor your father and mother. And he said to him, Teacher, all these I have kept from my youth. And Jesus, looking at him, loved him and said to him you lack one thing go sell all that you have and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven and come and follow me disheartened by the saying he went away sorrowful for he had great riches let's take this time and pray shall we Thank you, Lord, for your word. As we consider this young man, um, may we also have our eyes opened to the truth of your word, that our hearts will not desire um, and, and, and have a love for the riches of this world, but that we will seek to be rich with the things of heaven. May your name be honored as we look through your word. In the precious name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Now, I want to draw your attention once again uh, by way of illustration to a parable Jesus gives in Luke chapter 16 and in verse 19 to verse 31. I'll just summarize it for you. Remember, Jesus gives this parable talking about the rich man and Lazarus right and as he 
um, shows us the state of the rich man that he lived in wealth he lived a comfortable life and on the other hand there was Lazarus a, a poor uh, beggar who longed to eat the crumbs that fell from the man's table he the, the, the lives are totally different right the, the, the story of the rich uh, man and Lazarus and if, if, if you had as you were reading through the story if you hadn't met these two men during their lifetimes who in this room would have chosen to be Lazarus instead of the rich man no one in their right mind yet if you could have seen them five seconds after death the choice would have been in the favor of Lazarus wouldn't it even though the rich man had all the world's goods, a fine home, many friends, a large close family and his health, he still lacked something worth more than all those things combined. He had it all, except that one thing that would have made all the difference in eternity. Lazarus, on the other hand, had nothing. Nothing that this old world had to offer, but he had that one thing that gave him everything in eternity it is that one thing that I wish to discover this morning before us today as we read in this passage is a another man who seemed to have it all as you look at him coming your way you would say now that is the man I want to become like now that man is living my dream life yet when Lord Jesus catalogs this man's life he finds him to be lacking one very important thing that would have guaranteed him eternal life most if not all of us have dreamed of one day striking it rich whether it be winning the lottery I'm not saying bet the lottery please don't or inheriting a large sum of money. I, I, I once read uh, uh, Charles Dickens' uh, um, Great Expectations uh, when I was young. And, and I just wanted, uh, he talks about Pip who comes, who gets this large inheritance. And I wanted to be like Pip, you know, and, 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 and get an uncle, that a long lost uncle who, <laughs> you know, uh, tells me that I've left everything for you. In other words, if we are given the opportunity, we might be willing to trade places with this rich young man today. That's that exactly what I would like um, for us to do. I want us to look at what um, all that he had going for him. And at that time, um, I want us to even consider the one thing that he was missing. And let's see whether or not we would really like to be in his shoes. As we, look at into, as we look into this passage this morning, uh, we, 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 I, I, I want to encourage you to take some time to look at your own life. See what you have and see, what you, uh, see uh, if you have this one thing that Jesus talks about that, that makes all the difference in the here and the hereafter. First of all, I want us to see his possessions. 
his possessions. I'll, I'll just catalog through his, his possessions for you. First of all, look at it in verse 22. He had money. In verse 22b, he is described as uh, he had great possessions. He had great possessions. There, there is nothing wrong with having money, is there? It is when money has you that there is a problem. When money controls you, when money is in possession of you, 1 Timothy chapter 6 verse 10 tells us, for the love of money is the root of all kinds of evils. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. It was not because they had money that they have wandered away from the faith. It was because of the love of money. Money had become their God. But again, money with all its power and potential does not impress God and can never provide salvation for the soul. Remember Simon the sorcerer in Acts chapter 8, right? This man who was like a magician, and he sees he sees the disciples um, of Jesus Christ coming, uh, preaching the gospel, and people are receiving the Holy Spirit, and he is intrigued. He he is amazed at what is happening, and as the gospel spreads, and 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 in verse nineteen, he tries to buy the gift of the Holy Spirit. He he tries to throw his money around uh, and 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 buy this thing that he sees. Uh, as the uh, as people are receiving the Holy Spirit, Peter turns to him in Acts chapter eight verse twenty, and he says, "May your silver perish with you, because you thought you could obtain the gift of God with money." Remember the story as well of the rich fool in Luke chapter twelve verse sixteen to verse twenty. This man had it all and he was satisfied in what he has and and he looks at all that he has amassed and he says to himself soul you have done so well for yourself relax enjoy it and at that very moment jesus says that the voice of god came and said you fool your soul will be required of you and what can you give in exchange for it he had money secondly um, he had pos- position and power look at uh, in Luke chapter 18 verse 18 the parallel of this very same story he is referred to as a ruler this young man was a community leader and held a place of honor among his people But again, Jesus was unimpressed. In the eyes of God, all men are sinners, aren't they? There are no gradations with God. In other words, God does not look at people based on uh, what they have. And and, and he uh, uh, measures their importance based on what they have. Everyone is equal in the sight of God. Everyone, um, you know, we, we are all equal. We all need the same thing. We all need salvation. We are in need of a savior. Uh, God does not see one as more important than the other. Romans chapter 3, 
Romans chapter 3 verse 23 tells us all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God all not many not some but all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God salvation cannot be earned by influence or by one's position in the world he had morals right thirdly he had morals look at verse 19 and verse 20 Jesus here names several commandments he comes to Jesus asking what can I do to be saved and Jesus names a few uh, commandments to this young man yet the man responded that he had kept these from his youth up but I must caution that when we read this passage we shouldn't think that Jesus Christ is saying to this young man that salvation comes through keeping the commandments Jesus is a master at revealing and exposing the heart as we will see as the passage goes so he puts these commandments uh, before this young man to expose really his heart but he stops for now this young man boasts about the fact that I've kept all these things from my youth so in, in his eyes he has morals right the fact that Jesus did not challenge this man's claim tells us that he was a moral man however morality is not enough to get into heaven there will be millions of good moral people in hell the Bible is very clear when it tells us that works will never be enough to save man's soul it is only by grace through faith in Christ Jesus that we are saved Titus chapter 2 chapter 3 verse 5 tells us he saved us not because of works done by us in righteousness but according to his own mercy by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit it was a common belief among the the Jews in Christ's day that good works were the secret to salvation in in, in John chapter 6 verse 28 as Jesus tells them about the uh, 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 you know about himself and so on uh, they, they, they say to Jesus uh, what can we what are the works that we can do to 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 to, to be right with God Right? They, they, they expected that they must do something they must work for their salvation even today that idea has not changed many still think that when, when they stand before God God will weigh the good against the bad and whichever comes out ahead will determine where they spend eternity they are looking at life as this scale of good and bad right that my good will outweigh my bad and God will receive me into his kingdom. It doesn't work like that. Others feel that they need to compare their lives against their neighbor. Right? They believe that if they are a little more moral than those around them, then they have a good chance of earning salvation. If I'm better than that one, look at that one. We, we usually measure ourselves by other people. And when we do that, we are always going to find someone who is worse than us. Always. 
what we must do brothers and sisters is measure ourselves against the holiness of God and we will be like Isaiah when he is in the presence of God remember Isaiah he was a priest he was actually in the temple meaning that as he's in the temple he is he has sanctified himself he is he is qualified to get into the temple he has no sin that bars him to get into the temple yet when he sees the holiness of God he sees himself as undone as a sinner as a man of unclean lips if Isaiah compared himself to the people of Israel at that time, Isaiah would have come out tops. He would wear a badge of honor. Right? He would put a medal of, of, of I'm holy, holier than, than thou. But he saw himself in light of the holiness of God and he saw that he was nothing. He was a beggar in need of the great mercy of God. The, the opinions of men you know when they say you um, good will outweigh your bad and when you are better than your neighbor then you're fine they just are opinions and not the truth according to the word of God even the most moral person in the world will spend it, eternity in hell if they are not saved God's way two examples are Lydia and, and, and Cornelius in the Bible, right? They are described as worshippers of God. They, they, they were moral, living moral lives. But someone had to be sent for them to hear the gospel. And I'll tell you, if Lydia and, and Cornelius continued in their lives and they continued trusting in the fact that I am a proselyte, I'm a, I'm a convert to the Jewish faith, and they died, they would have gone with their proselyte uh, 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 lives straight to hell God shows them their great need by sending Peter to Cornelius sending Paul to Lydia and they hear the gospel and they repent and trust in him and are baptized as a result now the fourth thing that we see about this man is that there's a sense of urgency with him the 17a when, when you look at verse 17a it tells us and he was as he was setting out on his journey talking about Jesus a man ran up and knelt before him he ran to Jesus looking for the answers he needed there was a sense of urgency he realized that life isn't going to last forever the passage just came to mind. I want to look for it very quick in Ecclesiastes chapter uh, 3. The, 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 this young man saw a great agency. Ecclesiastes chapter 3 verse 11 says, He has made everything, talking about God, made everything beautiful in his time. And listen to this words. Also, he has put eternity into man's heart yet so that he cannot find out what God has done from the beginning to the end God has put eternity into man's heart there are people that live as if God does not exist but when they are on their beds at night sleeping they toss about unsatisfied 
in, 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 in public, they live as though all that they have is enough for them, but when they are by themselves, they are depressed, not knowing what the meaning of life is. And, and that each, that that, 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 that that question that they cannot put into words is eternity that God has planted in man's heart. As one theologian says, Blaise uh, Pascal, I think, that there is a God-shaped vacuum in man's heart. And we try to take that vacuum and, and, and cram it with a lot of things. We cram it with with, with uh, sex, uh, sexual immorality, and so on. We cram it with with fame. We cram it with with uh, you know uh, money and whatever. And we still are never satisfied because nothing will feel that God-shaped vacuum except for God Himself. This young man had that sense of agency. He had a, a question that was burning in his heart. And he found the right man. He comes running to him, kneels before him. He realized that life isn't going to last forever. The lost people today need to need that same sense of urgency where their soul's salvation is concerned. We need to remind ourselves of the brevity of life. There are these Latin words that I love. Momento mori. Remember, you will die. The, the Puritans, when they um, passed on, on their graves, the epithets on their graves would be those words. Momento mori, momento vivere. Remember, you will die. Remember to live. And when we spoke about remember to live, they spoke about the living life in Christ. It's a question and something that we truly need to um, remind ourselves of. The, 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 the haste with which life passes by is the reason the Bible tells us that man uh, needs to be saved today. Right? You don't wait for tomorrow. Today. Today is the only day that is promised. You, you may feel this same sense of agency. But that will not be enough to save you from eternal hell. A sense of agency must be met by running to Jesus. He had humility. Verse 17b, he knelt before him. This young man came before Jesus humbly. He demanded nothing, but he bowed before the Lord and asked him. Asked him a question. It takes a humble person to come before God and confess their sins and receive Christ into their heart. A humble life and, and, and spirit are, are good things, right? But just being meek, just being humble, will not keep you out of hell. Having a sense of the fear of the Lord is wonderful, and many lost people have a fear of God and his power. But these are not enough. This man was humble, yet he wasn't saved. 
he wasn't saved he needed the savior look at verse 18 as well he had a, a desire for salvation this man cared about where he would spend eternity this tell me he believed in heaven and, and, and hell it appears that he wanted the best afterlife that he could achieve yet a desire for salvation is not enough to bring it about there are people who have spent a lifetime in the house of God and long to be in heaven when they die yet they have never been truly saved because they are not coming to him they are not repenting of their sin they are not surrendering to him they have a desire for it but they have never followed through and been born again look at again he was loved by God verse 21 Jesus looks at him and what does it say loved him loved him even though he was a sinner, he was still loved by the Lord. This is a true window into the heart of Jesus and his compassion for sinners. Every lost person enjoys the same love today. Jeremiah 31 verse 3, when Israel went astray from the Lord, he says to them, I have loved you with an everlasting love, therefore I have continued my faithfulness to you. In fact, the love of God for fallen men was so great, so great that he gave up his son to die on the cross and save men and women from their sins. We see first his possessions as we saw him. Second, I want us to see his problem. See his possessions. Secondly, we see his problem. When this man came before Jesus, Jesus simply held up the mirror of God's word before him to reveal his sinfulness to him. Like a mirror, the word of God has the power to show us what we really are. We are not um, good self-assessors. I keep saying this a lot, that if, if you tell someone, tell me about yourself, Right? I'm, I'm humble uh, as, as actually <laughs> I saw I saw I was looking at Guardians of the Galaxy and uh, it's, I think it's, it's but you and, and Drex there's this guy who's kind of a, a god and he, he kind of describes his planet and um, but he describes it in a humble way and Drex says oh humility I'm also humble myself and so people are not good self-assessors, right? When they assess themselves, they will tell you about how patient they are, how humble they are, how loving, how, you know, how they are a good team worker. But put them in a team and you will see them, right? Put them in a situation where it tries their patience and you will see them. The Bible says in James chapter 1, verse 23, that the... the, 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 the when we look intently into the word of God, it, 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 it reveals our hearts, right? We, we look into the word as a mirror and it reflects our hearts um, to us. In order for us to, to repent, right, and turn away from our sin. But oftentimes we go into the mirror, we like someone who, who was makeuping their face, 
right? And the, the lipstick is up to here. It's not supposed to be there. And they look at it and then they turn away and still go without it, without uh, fixing their face. When we look at the word and it addresses our sin, we must um, come to Christ for him to wash us. You see, Christ's desire was that this man come to see himself as a sinner and that he was in need of salvation. He didn't see himself as a sinner. Can, can you see that? He was looking for another way, but not the way that exposes the fact that he's a sinner. Many in our day share a common problem with this young man. They see themselves as moral people and feel that they need nothing from God or man. However, the, the, the word of God has declared all to be sinners in need of a savior. Jesus not only held him up to the mirror, he also touched a sore spot with this young man. First, um, notice what Jesus Christ does. He goes straight to... Um, the things that this young man boasts about, right? He quotes from the Ten Commandments, but he does not quote all the Ten Commandments. Have you noticed? So, th th this young man lived select his moral life selectively. These are things that he had done very well, right? And these are things that he held on to as things that he can come with before God and God accepting him because of those things. And Jesus goes straight to those things and mentions those and mentions nothing else. And he says, ah, you're talking about these things. Ah, I mean, I've done them. You should have seen me growing up. When my mama said, wash the dishes, I washed the dishes immediately. Right? <laughs> he had done all these things. But notice where Jesus goes. Go, Jesus goes exactly to the source spot. In verse 21, Jesus told this young man exactly what he had to do to be saved forever. Verse 21, he says, you lack one thing. Go, sell all that you have and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven and come follow me. What Jesus Christ is doing here he is actually touching the problem area. He's challenging this man in three ways. First of all, renounce your wealth. This, this man's money was in truth his God. Right? He trusted money, he worshipped money, and he received his fulfillment from money. Therefore, even though he was moral and upright, his God was his money. He had broken the first commandment. You shall have no other gods before me. And, and follow this logic very carefully. He had broken the first commandments of having other gods before him. And because James says when you break one, you break all actually. He had not kept them all. He was lying. And so Jesus Christ wanted to expose self-deception. That he was deceived. The worst thing, the worst place to be is to not know that you don't know. To be at a place where you are deceived. The logic goes. Jesus leaves off this one uh, aspect, but then he exposes it by showing him what his God truly is. 
Uh, secondly, he tells him, take up your cross. This young man was called to leave his place of position and power and identify himself with the shame of the cross. He was called upon to give up his life for Jesus. Thirdly, follow me. He was called upon to take, uh, 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 to take place, uh, uh, to take uh, his trust in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ for his salvation. He, he was to turn away from everything that he had been trusting in and then trust totally in Jesus and nothing else for salvation. These requirements still stand today. First of all, renounce your wealth. Jesus doesn't ask us to give up all that we own. He just wants us to know that you cannot receive the gift of eternal life while you are grasping the world. Renounce the fact that your wealth can ever truly give you something that only God can give you. Jesus wants the lost person to know he wants them to know that they are loved and they can be saved but they are going to have to be willing to turn from those things that have a hold on their lives in other words you cannot have Jesus and your sins at the same time repentance is an absolutely essential comp component of salvation you cannot hold your sin on one hand and hold Jesus on the other you hold him with both hands secondly take up your cross this means that you must be willing to be identified with Jesus there are no incognito Christians it isn't always popular to be known as a Christian the world may hate you and despise um, his name however the one who truly loves the Lord will be willing to bear the shame of the old rugged cross anyone who isn't willing to publicly claim his name and follow him as a coward and is probably not even saved thirdly follow him this simply is the way to be saved that is the place your it is to place your faith in Jesus and in Jesus alone you are following him if you have received the gospel account of his birth, his life, his death and resurrection. And if you are trusting his blood alone to save you from your sins, is your faith in Jesus? Is your faith really in Jesus? Are you trusting in him or are you trusting other things? Who Jesus really is uh, you will notice in verse 17 and verse 18, Jesus reveals his identity to this young man. He declares himself to be God. Jesus is saying that he, uh, if, if this young man is saying to him he's good, then he is God. Do, do you see what this young man is doing? He comes to him, he just recognizes Jesus as a good teacher. And Jesus says, there's no one good but God. Jesus Christ is not saying here that he is not good. He's saying to the young man, you need to, 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 to go further because if you recognize me as good and there's no one who is good but God alone, then you must recognize that I'm God. Do you see that? His challenge to the young man is to believe in Christ alone and in what he can do for the sinner. Who is Jesus to you today? 
He's a great teacher, a good man, a good guy who got himself killed on a cross. A good excuse for presents at Christmas and dinner at Easter. Who is he? If he is anything less than God, he can never be your savior. This young man had the same problem that millions of others um, have this morning. They, they are trusting everything but the right thing to get them to heaven. They possess a lot of the world's goods. They are morally pure. They are good, respectable people, but they are lost and are hell-bound because they have never trusted Jesus as their personal savior. Now, I want this to look sadly um, at his preference. This is the third uh, part. His preference. This man was offered eternal life. Yet he thought the price was just so high to pay for him. He chose his riches over his own soul. Remember Mark chapter 8 verse 36 and 37? For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? For what can a man give in return for his soul? What is it that is keeping you from coming to Jesus today? Whatever it is. It is not worth going to hell over. Nothing ever is. Well, when it comes to salvation, you are going to make a decision. In fact, you are going to make it today. You will either choose to humbly accept the fact that you are a sinner and receive Jesus as your Savior, or you will choose to get up and, and walk out of here as a lost um, sinner than when you have entered. And I pray that you will choose heaven over hell this day. I believe what, uh, I think it was Isaac Newton who said, for every action there is an equal and opposite reaction. While that is true in the world of nature and science, it is also true in the realm of spirituality. Your decision, your decision in regard to Jesus Christ will determine exactly what you can look forward to in eternity. So his preference leads us lastly to his prospects. His prospects. Look at verse 22. It says that he went away grieved. He was sorrowful. This word was used to mean the gathering of storm clouds. This young man literally walked away from the sunshine and directly into the storm. He walked away thinking that he has saved his wealth from this madman who wants him to sell it all. But he didn't realize that as he was walking away with his wealth, he has lost the greatest treasure of all. When a person rejects Christ as Savior, they have no other place to turn to. This, uh, Hebrew chapter 2 verse 3 says, How shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? Therefore, this young man's prospects for eternity, while they could have been wonderful and guaranteed him an eternity of bliss and glory, uh, became very bleak and promised only hell because he refused to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ 
for his salvation. And I want you to understand today that if you receive Jesus as your savior, you have the promise of heaven and all his glories. However, if you choose to walk away from Jesus, you will, have, you will never find salvation anywhere else. And you will eventually wind up in hell forever apart from God who loves you and died for you. Now let me conclude by saying, I, I don't want you to go to hell and I don't believe you want to go there either. You don't have to. All you have to, to do to be guaranteed a future in glory is to come to Jesus now and receive him as Savior. Jesus isn't asking much from you. He's just asking for you. Remember the thief on the cross in Luke chapter 23, verse 39 to verse 43. This young man had no money. This, this, this man had no money, no future, no hope. He, he could produce no works and could do absolutely nothing for the Lord. He couldn't be baptized. He, he couldn't preach. He couldn't go to church or Sunday school. All he could do was place his faith in Jesus and trust him for his soul. That is exactly what he did and Jesus saved him that day and for all eternity. Alastair Beck um, looks at the story and concludes this way. He says, now imagine this man from the cross as he bows his head and takes his last breath and he wakes up in heaven. And as he enters heaven, someone comes to him and says, wait a minute, what, what are you doing here? And he looks at the man and says, I don't know. He says, uh, um, so, so do you know justification by faith? He says, I've never heard of that. Have you been to church? No. And he keeps asking him all these questions about, you know, uh, can, you, can you at least tell me something? Who's your pastor? I don't have a pastor. But why are you here? And all that he could say is, the man in the middle of the cross said, I could come. Let us pray. Indeed, Lord, thank you for the cross. We can never thank you enough that it is only because of the cross that we can come. Help us to have our eyes opened to see that the things of this world, though you in your mercy give them to some of us, they can never truly satisfy. They can never bring us the joy that you bring us. They can never save us. That salvation is only in you and is the one thing that we need for our souls to be saved. I pray for those who do not know you, Lord, that they will draw near to you and find in you the great, their greatest and ultimate treasure. Make yourself known in their lives. In the name of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, we pray this. Amen.